Maybe that's a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? something, Mr. Stivic. You are a meathead. <laughs> and meathead, dead from the neck up. little motel when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. Do you have the vacancy? No. We have 12 vacancies. You know this is the first place that looks like it's hiding from the world? I think that we're all in our private traps clamped in them. None of us can ever get out. Is anyone at home? Oh, that, uh, that must be my mother. Is anything wrong? your college flunkies. I've had enough of this from you and from everyone else. I know what you guys are trying to do. Break me down, drive me out of the force. Well, it's going to take a hell of a lot more than a lame prank like this to get Curtis Mooney to throw in his badge, so fuck you. Over. Did you miss me?
One. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I'm your host, David Stregian. Here we have another fantastic slasher film for you. Uh, in fact, it is the first of them all. Uh, and uh, uh, over here it, it, in the room, I also have uh, Jake, who has decided to host uh, tonight. So I'm going to give this over to him. Ladies and gentlemen, Jake. Huh, hello. <laughs> so tonight's film is uh, a film that, yes, as Dave said, is considered by many to be the kind of the granddaddy of the slasher genre. Some people feel like it isn't fully a slasher. It's kind of debatable, and I'm sure we'll have that discussion tonight. And we're talking about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, um, which definitely a classic film uh, uh, by many standards. Uh, apparently not by all, but... Um, <laughs> and this one, jeez, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the exact date. Was it 1950 or 1960? 1960. 1960. Yes, 19... Okay. So, 1960 film uh, starring Anthony Perkins, Vera Miles, Janet Lee, and a handful of other notable people, Martin Balsam, and so forth. And, uh, well, in addition to me and Dave, we've also got, uh, Brandon and Dustin. Y'all want to say hey? Hey. Hey. <laughs> and I guess, should we go ahead and do the initial, everyone say what their take on the film, uh, initial viewing of? Okay. Uh, who wants well, to start with that? <laughs> I I'll go first. Um, okay. You know, it has, actually, Hitchcock was one of the two. I had a, um, when I was in uh, high school, I had to do two studies of filmmakers and actors. And I was, uh, I had to do a study of two, and I uh, had picked Woody Allen and Alfred Hitchcock, hmm. which uh, I had picked uh, three films to study for Woody Allen and three for uh, Alfred Hitchcock. And uh, I'm not going to worry about the Woody Allen ones. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I had Rear Window, Har Har not Harvey, Rear Window, and there was another one with, um, I think it was Rope, and uh, Psycho with a three. It, and I'll admit, uh, that was when I started having my hate on for Jimmy Stewart for a while. <laughs> um, but when I saw Psycho, it was something I had never quite seen before. And of course... When I was in high school, I absolutely thought that all horror movies were trash. I'll admit that. Uh, but I think I just had a hate on for uh, a lot of it at the time because I had been traumatized by it as a child. <laughs> and uh, But Psycho was something quite different. It wasn't scary, but it was intense and thoughtful. Not something for teenage me necessarily to digest. So... It was kind of weird. I probably actually had a similar reaction to others when it came to that. I thought it was boring, pretentious, and overly wordy. <laughs> and then when I wrote a paper about that, I got an F. Um, <laughs> but when I have watched it later on in life, I've learned to actually appreciate it a little bit more. Actually, a heck of a lot more, especially with the recent viewing. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, not quite sure what Teenage Me was about back then. <laughs> All right. So, Dave, what about your first experience? Well, um, 
my first experience with this film was knowing and learning that it, that it was based on Ed Keen, and uh, I understood I understood very minimal about Ed Gein when I was like five or six years old when I'd seen uh, when I'd seen bits and pieces of this but when I finally saw it when I was a teenager uh, this film um, especially since many of his films he was so iconic for showing up inside of them I, I, be, I became a connoisseur of trying to find where exactly he showed up in whatever film that he would be in so uh, when I saw Psycho uh, for the first uh, first time, I loved the fact that uh, that you know while she was try uh, trying to go away from you know uh, just selling the car, they, they were uh, they were they were talking at her like like she was thinking about them, you know, and that that one scene that stuck in my mind uh, and uh, seeing it again. Well, uh, Definitely the way that it that it was, and uh, I think it definitely holds up myself. So, all right. So, Dustin, how about you? Um, did we do Brandon already? Yeah, oh, yeah, we did. Yep. Okay. Um. Well. So, when I started getting into horror around uh, 2012, um, I mean, I had heard of Psycho, of course. Um, I had heard of Alfred Hitchcock. Um, I had literally just, like, heard of these things. I'd never seen anything Hitchcock did. I'd never seen Psycho, even, like, a clip of Psycho. Um, although, I guess, in a way I had, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, so, Psycho had, like, such a fearsome reputation... And so I went into it, into it fairly excited, and I think I fell asleep about 30, 40 minutes in or so. Um, like, I despise this movie. Like, it is so fucking bad. Um, I've, I've tried to, I've seen this movie about six or seven times, and... In about three of the, in at least three of those, I have fallen asleep, like, at a different moment. Just, like, I just can't stand this movie. Like, I don't understand why Hitchcock was so popular or so revered. Like, I just, I completely do not get it. Like, I hate this goddamn movie. <laughs> like, it is not scary in, like, the slightest. Like, when she's, like, screaming in the shower, like, ah! It's like, wow, this is silly. She's just like, ah! Like that's that's the caliber of the acting, and I just none of it works on me. None of it whatsoever works on me. I'm sure a lot of you in the audience are really mad right now, but uh, <laughs> you know, like if if you've been listening to us for a long time, uh, you'll remember my freakout on the Exorcist episode, which I am trying not to do again because I think I I hate this movie slightly less than the Exorcist. And feel roughly the same way about it. Like, it is a cheat. Uh, I think part of why I had this reaction was because virtually every scene in Psycho has been parodied or homaged or copied in something one way or another. And so there was nothing that came as a surprise. Like, every scene has been done. Like, I think The Simpsons itself 
I think you could mm-hmm. probably get about about an hour of the runtime of this movie just from Simpsons clips. Like you could edit them together into like a thing. The thing or, is, and 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 I'm willing to wager first. And I had and I'm willing to wager you you're probably not even talking about the Gus Van Sant remake that supposedly does copy every scene. Oh, oh that's a shot for shot remake. I I actually did see that one first, and I was like, what's this? <laughs> that one was like, I I. <laughs> I, I would put them on about the same level. It's like, uh, there's, there's no, really no difference there. That, really. that, that, that was like, just better trash. One's in oh. color, and you see Vince Vaughn, like, masturbate off-camera. That's that's mm. the difference. Mm. Like, they, are, they are both equally lame, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, no. I did read the book. So, the original mm-hmm. Robert Block book. Uh, like... My tolerance for the movie went up greatly after I read that because the book is actually pretty creepy and pretty good. So I will give it some credit off that. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I I hate this movie a lot. Like I didn't even finish it this time. Like I'm just going off my memory for the last twenty minutes. Uh, yeah. It's one of those movies where so little happens, you think it's like. 110 minutes and it's almost two hours and it's like wait where's what's going on it's like oh, there's, a, there's a lot of fluff with uh well we'll get to that i was gonna say out of curiosity if you had never seen any references to psycho prior or any slasher movies prior to psycho uh which would be hard but let's say if you hadn't do you think you would have thought differently of the film Probably. Like, I think a lot of... I was expecting, like, a lot of, like, cleverness and surprises, and because nothing was a surprise, I mean, I think it would have definitely... I think it would have definitely improved my perception of the movie. Um, And, I mean, I'm sure that it knocked people dead in, like, the 60s or whatever this is from. Well, yeah, it had never been done before, and it was clever because they'd never done it before. But uh, that was... uh, those yeah. people were so easy to scare. It's like, look, an interracial couple, and people would just have heart attacks and fall over. <laughs> no one had ever uh, thought uh, that uh, a man could dress up like a woman and then suddenly kill someone. And then those Isn't cameras... Isn't called Glenn Glenda that did that? <laughs> like, what? Well, I don't think they killed anybody. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happens in that, but I do know about it. <laughs> they could have. You don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I've seen the movie. They didn't, but still. <laughs> that was a movie that played in the, like, lowest budget of driving right. films, and Edward Wood never got the recognition that he... Should've. Oh, that was an <laughs> Edward movie. Oh yeah, it was. Oh my, almost autobiographical. Uh, <laughs> almost autobiographical. Yes, because it actually reflected himself. Uh, Glenn and Glenda did. Right. It owned Edward. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. um, Dustin, you'll be happy to know that I am in agreement with you, and that I rate this one higher than The Exorcist. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was just like that was also nap time, but it was like religious nap time. So I get to hear a sermon and be bored, and it's like, ah, fuck you. And I also agree that um, the last ten minutes or so of Psycho are far and away the weakest. 
But that seems to be almost a universal opinion. Yeah. Hitchcock himself hated well, the ending. I uh, I thought the ending was much better. Like the end that yeah. that's the part I like. So to me to me the movie grinds to a halt at that point. It's yeah. it's total exposition. But we'll get to that. We'll get yeah. to that. Uh, I for myself, I was late coming to Hitchcock. I really cannot say the first one I saw, it was probably Rear Window or The Man Who Knew Too Much or something like that. And it was probably around the time I went to college. I don't think I'd seen anything before that. And, uh, of course, you know, once I got into film, everyone's a Hitchcock, Hitchcock. I mean, you got to see them all. And, and uh, Kubrick now. Yeah. They can't, and, um, can't ride the dicks hard enough. <laughs> and I will admit, well, I agree about Kubrick. Yeah, I will admit that when you get to these ones who are heavily, uh, heavily talked up, there is a much higher bar that they have to reach, and and or they fall short. And from from what I've seen with Hitchcock, I've probably seen the twenty three, twenty four ish of his films. And there was one that was a silent film. It was a very poor quality transfer, no soundtrack at all. <laughs> I had a hard time staying awake through that one. Was that and, on the Peacock or something like that? No, I can't the remember which one it was. And well, it must be easy when nothing happens for an hour. And, and there were a couple of the again that set we have the sixteen film set. Mm -hmm. Torn curtain just bored me. It just really bored me. But some of them. Psycho, except for the ending, has always been one of my favorites. Um, I probably would rate Rear Window, probably Rope, and maybe The Trouble with Harry are the other ones up there at the top. Um, it's he, he is kind of an acquired taste, uh, but... It's it's good, you know, and I will admit Psycho's flawed, and we'll talk about the flaws as we go along. Um, but it's, uh, I think this is probably my fourth-ish viewing of the film. It's first one I've, it's first time I've seen it in a while. It's been a while, but um, at, at any rate, uh, I will go ahead and give us the very quick one-liner on IMDb, a Phoenix secretary embezzles $40,000 from her employer's client, goes on the run, and checks into a remote motel run by a young man under the domination of his mother. Of course, you probably already knew that because, you know, like Dustin said, everyone's heard this plot a hundred times. Uh, <laughs> now, there's you know, one question that I ask every single one of you. What's that? Color. What is the color of the dress of uh, his mother? The color of the dress? It's like blue with like flowers on it. Sure. That's a description. The correct answer is periwinkle blue. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the correct answer was black and white. <laughs> nope. Wrecked. <laughs> Because this one, this was a film that Hitchcock consciously made in black and white when he didn't need to. It was his follow-up to North by Northwest, which was in color. 
and uh, I read a comment that he said that if all these really bad, cheaply made black and white B movies make so much money, what would happen if a really good black and white movie just came out? <laughs> like, that's the kind of a continues. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Hitchcock did have a really great arch sense of humor, and some of the stuff I read about what he said about this one is just kind of amuses me. And later, again, we could probably talk about some of that earlier on. But early, you know, the basic plot is pretty simple. You have um, Janet Lee plays the secretary, Marion Crane. She doesn't even mean to take a life of crime. She just sees $40,000 and says, I could do something with this. <laughs> and that's pretty, you know, and of course she kind of, the guy whose money it was had been shamelessly, ooh, I mean, I, I don't know. I've seen such a display of shameless flirting. <laughs> it's undeclared like I like all my things yeehaw and it's like exactly, okay. exactly <laughs> yes and, uh, so she goes off the movie actually starts with her and her boyfriend though and her boyfriend is married and yeah. and um he was married what's that I was gonna say he was a married man yeah yeah Apparently, and Dustin, if you've read the book, you can tell us this. Um, I, I read in the notes that apparently they met on a cruise. That's why they had a long-distance relationship. They don't always really say in the movie. I think that's correct. I did read the yeah. book. Like I read the book in 2016, so my memory on a lot of it is kind of fuzzy. Okay. Um, I do kind of want to put a generic uh, Hitchcock, uh, a few couple. I do want to... Okay. Put a couple of Hitchcock caveats in there, though. So, I mean, okay. I think my favorite Hitchcock movie is Rear Window, which I loved. I loved Rear Window, um, even though I'd seen the Simpsons parody of that beforehand. Right. Uh, like, I still enjoyed it a lot. So, I think Rear Window is his best movie. And I enjoyed The Birds, too. And then all the other stuff after that, I've seen a couple of his other movies, and I just, I found them so bland, I don't even remember the titles. And I tried watching <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock Presents... And, oh my lord, it was like the worst thing that's probably, it felt like the worst thing that's ever aired, like, as a TV series. Like, I actually yeah. stopped after, I think, about 20 episodes. My original plan was to finish it. Like, I stopped watching after a point, because it was like, okay, I've had enough of this, and then I de deleted the series. So, I think that's the mistake people make with Hitchcock a lot, is they, they hear about this guy as a master of horror. He's not a master of horror. He's a master of suspense. He's a master. He, he creates thrillers, uh, and I had to adapt to that myself because I was expecting horror, and of course, I got a thriller. And well, with, with me, it was it's like okay, he's the master. I, I knew about the thriller thing, and so I would watch something, and things would kind of go in one direction. It's like okay, I know it's going to happen, and then it would just be like, yep, saw that coming. Like, I don't think he. I don't think he surprised me once in any of the stuff that I saw, except for like the twist in Rear Window. It's like, oh, the guy really did kill his wife. And well, part of it also is you probably have, at this point, what, three maybe generations who've grown up uh, worshipping Hitchcock. So he has very much influenced quite a lot of filmmakers. Oh, yeah. So yeah, at this point, if you're coming to him fresh you're not going to feel the, the same effect that the people that saw it back then. Because or even, yeah. 
It reminds me of that Family Guy joke from back when the show was good. There's that booth at like the carnival or whatever. Right. And it's some old guy, like, the miracle of electricity, and he's just, like, pulling the chain on, like, a light bulb and clicking it right. on, and he's like, what, right. don't you think this is amazing? I, right. I, I cried I myself that. the first time I saw this. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's just like that. Actually, all the people that use those things afterwards, they're the ones who aren't original. Technically, he's the original one because he was the one who did it first. Right. So... It's kind of weird because it's it's a reworking of your mind of a person's mind in that category. Right. I mean, that doesn't mean that things can't still hold up, though. I mean, Rear Window holds up. Like the birds yeah. holds up. Like I don't know why this doesn't hold up to me. Um, um, we've probably we've probably hit on it, and I'm just not making the connection. But see, to, uh, me, to me, the reason why this film holds up is that uh, that there there is still an air of mystery that especially yeah. in the very beginning when she's just running from uh, from uh, the, the, uh, having this money and then she goes mm-hmm. and she gets stopped by this cop that has uh, right. has these nondescript glasses and he's just weird view it he he fucking stares at her and he looks like that dude that has the metal mouth in, in um in uh, James Bond or some shit. <laughs> Jaws. <laughs> Jaws. <laughs> yeah, that's a picking of Ron Perlman. Glasses where it's like you can only see in or see out, and then and then of course you think after she's traded in the car, uh, she's got the three guys. Staring at her as she's going right. going down, so that adds to the mystery. I mean, that, you could you could kind of watch this as a comedy with some of those moments. It's like, really? hey, sure you don't want to look around, and just give just sell me the car. Damn. Yeah, apparently, Hitchcock himself thought about branding it as a comedy. I mean, it's you know, like I said, he had a pitch black sense of humor, I and I think it a lot more that way. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you haven't, yeah, you should probably watch The Trouble with Harry because that was a comedy and it was flipping hilarious. But it, the uh, at any rate, um, so we got we got yeah, she switches the car while the cop is standing there watching her. It's like okay, well, what's the point now of switching the car? And then she gets lost and the rain is pouring down and she has to pull over. And she pulls over at what's now the iconic Bates Motel, uh, where she meets the only employee who's this very chipper young man who's kind of not very... He's clearly uh, kind of an odd duck um, who loves taxidermy, and and particularly birds. I like his little explanation that animals were just creepy. That I'm like, oh, and birds aren't? <laughs> well, and he did comment to, to uh, uh, her that she, he, he said, uh, you eat like a bird. Yes. <laughs> and, and actually, like, when we get to the characters, I'll talk more on that, definitely. But then she checks in. We have the some dialogue between them. We have the infamous shower scene. Mm-hmm. And then it switches gears to where her sister and the boyfriend and a detective are 
well, where'd you go? You know, so... And, and that's pretty much the basic plot without getting into super spoiler territory, but, you know, you know, we're like the spoilers left to be had at this point. I, mean, I think it kind of, I think it kind of makes more sense in that regard, because yeah. uh, the way things were, like, in that time period, I mean, there weren't, there wasn't, like, the high degree of connectivity we have today, like, right. you could probably just, you know, drive for a few hours in some direction and disappear, like, if you really didn't want to be found. Right. Yeah. No this, this is set in like what the fifties, I think. Uh, I, I think it was. I remember when Watt yeah. wrote this. Uh, I'm not sure. I, think, I got the impression the film was contemporary that they weren't trying to do a period piece. So yeah, it oh. probably would have been late fifties. What What is this? What year is this from? Actually, I'm not. I don't quite remember. 1960. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then it would have been the fifties. Yeah, I would assume. Well, 1960 is is essentially the 50s. I mean, I don't think there was that big of a change no. from 59 to 60. I mean, the 60s themselves are a different story, but it's yeah. close <laughs> enough. <laughs> and 60 to 65 was a lot like the 50s. It was uh, only the 60 to 75 that really uh, took on let people think of turmoil. Yeah, from the 60s, from the 60s, see the homemakers to the 70s. Please. <laughs> I, I do say though that the uh, that one part that you're going over the end of that part with the shower scene, mm-hmm. I really do feel that people who had been exposed to Hitchcock, the one surprise that most people would have gotten, I think, and I've seen this and heard this from a couple people, uh, are that they do not realize that the story continued after that point. Or that it would come that quickly to where this character they focused on right. would just die and end that quickly, and then there was so much movie left. Well, I, and I kept thinking to myself, what, what, what he's, he's actually just bringing out a regular mop, a mop, a mop bucket. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, I mean, you use what you got, you know? uh, Yeah, but, uh, but, uh, but shit, the bl- blood is thicker than water, man. I mean, it's a lot. Depends on how much water you add to it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty water-soluble when it's fresh, to a degree. (laughs) I mean, you can mop it up pretty easily. Don't ask how I know all this. (laughs) And you get the impression that he's um, had some practice with this. But but on on Brandon's point, I do agree. It's like, it's kind of a, it's a big red herring. You get this character who is the central character, and then... What, they're dead? What? Really? <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's not a common thing. We'll actually have another movie coming up this month where they pulled the same trick, and I wouldn't be surprised if Psycho influenced Nightmare on Elm Street, but, you know, it was... Uh, I don't know how many movies did that before this, you know? Um, probably not many, if any. There were some other firsts, too. I mean, that scene... This is a totally random kind of bit of trivia that's like, I don't know if anyone even would think about it nowadays, but apparently Psycho is the first film to ever feature a flushing toilet on screen. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. And they got away with it by making it supposedly integral to the plot, you know, because she's trying to get rid of evidence, so it's like... Can't show so, anything that vulgar. Yeah. <laughs> Scandalous. <laughs> it, 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 
And it is amazing some of the stuff that Hitchcock got by the censors in this movie. And apparently he did it by including things he knew they would object to so that he could get away with the other stuff. Uh, <laughs> well, at least, at least his reputation helped him. One person is looking left, the other go right. <laughs> yep. So, uh, actually, though, uh, did any of you, uh, well, there was a uh, film wheel. Mm-hmm. I was on one of them, and I thought that it was interesting how they set it up at the beginning, where when they were advertising the film, Hitchcock himself had said, while it's in theaters, no one is allowed in the theater if it's gone past the first five minutes. Yeah, I watched uh, that reel, too. It was interesting. And then mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Was like that they, he wanted to make sure that people got that first storyline. <laughs> yeah, it's a good it idea. I don't think the movie would have worked if uh, if they hadn't had that involved. I think he was aware of that because I mean the trick only works if you've been focusing on that character for that specific amount of time. Because mm-hmm. um, I mean, as much as I dislike Hitchcock, I mean I'm not saying by any means that he wasn't actually good at you know filmmaking. Like, well, he, he knew his audience. He knew how to. Uh, manipulate the audience. <laughs> well, <laughs> he knew, yeah, he knew, he knew uh, how to, you know, get the Cro-Magnons in, uh, <laughs> what was this, Pleistocene America. <laughs> I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of geological time periods. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't do that right. right now. I like his, uh, I like his representation of uh, silhouettes on film. Because uh, mm-hmm. you get the scene where uh, the sister and the lover are talking to each other, and they're talking to each other in the dark. You can't really see their profiles. And uh, and right before that, you, you see a moment of uh, Anthony Perkins in silhouette uh, while, he's, uh, while he's coming back for, uh, from, or st- standing near where he just saw the car sink, you know? So... I mean, that stuff is good. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, like, Hitchcock is, like, a worthless, you know, thing. I mean, it's just, <laughs> he does a lot of good stuff. It's just that it just, for whatever reason, it just doesn't work on me, except for Rear Window. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the characters. Of course, the main character, or supposed main character, uh, is Marion Crane. That's Janet Lee. Um, but the top build characters, actually, you've got Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates and Vera Miles as Lila Crane. Lila doesn't even show up until almost an hour into the film. And Norman Bates <laughs> is the, like, that's the main character. Yeah, as far as yeah. yeah. yeah he, he kind of is. But um, does anyone have a particular character that they really wanted to lead off with? Well, I, I kind of always uh, is, is somewhat liked uh, Anthony Perkins' character uh, for oh. some reason. I mean, he, he seems like it comes off as that down-to-earth country boy, you know? Um, not really. He seems more... Norman Bates, uh, as played by Anthony Perkins in this, kind of reminds me of Ted Bundy, you know, like, a little shy, like, but charismatic, but still, like, really charismatic and handsome, like, disarming, I think, is the right word. He kind of reminds me, I was sitting here thinking it as I watched the film, I was thinking he was kind of like, uh, uh, Leslie Vernon if he was more of a nerd. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Uh, which is, that's pretty different from how he is in the book. Uh, right. In the book, he has glasses, he's overweight, he looks, he looks a little bit like Dave, actually, in the book. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And is just, like, very, like, mousy and, un- and unassuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still being say- kind of, eh. Yeah, I have to say, from my standpoint, honestly, I loved Perkins' portrayal of the role, and uh, it to me, I mean, oh, that was, it is one of the reasons I love the movie. He has some of the best lines. He has the whole interaction that he has where he's sitting having sandwiches with Marion Crane, and they're having that little dialogue, and it was a pretty good. Both of them were doing good in that scene, but mm-hmm. he just had those great moments. Like he had the. Um, you know, the, well, we all go a little mad sometimes, you know, just that, yeah, very famous line. Then, of course, the probably the most famous line he had was that boy's best friend is his mother. You know, just the way he says those lines, it just, it is, it is really good. It was really memorable character. He is one of the best screen villains. I think AFI rated him as the second best screen villain of all time. Um, you know, he's definitely one of the, top ones. Uh, Lee, I think, does a fine job, but especially, I know, Dustin, you were talking earlier about her acting in the shower scene. Um, she has her off moments. I will fully <laughs> And her voice sounds pretty much just like that. Right. Um, I, mean, I mean, I agree that, that the way that they portrayed him, I could see it if See, that's the problem, and Dustin had touched on it, was that it was it's so prevalent in current culture that mm-hmm. a lot of it is ruined, that he's the killer. But uh, if I was watching this flesh, like, you know, had never seen it before, never seen anything to it, the way that he portrays the character is that the character seems to be very harmless, mm-hmm. and he has this out-of-control mother that he's trying to uh, rein in, and... Mm-hmm. It's somewhat believable. You'd have to be like really studying it to catch that Norman himself is the killer, at least early on in the movie. Well, I like the moment where where the uh, detective Pendergast uh, 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 is asking, uh, uh, has noticed his mother is sitting in the window, and he keeps asking him questions and making him nervous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that little scene right there, you start to see the smile turn, uh, turn to a, uh, this guy better get the fuck away from me or some shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, before, you know, so, I mean, you, you start to see the downward spiral. Right. And I, I, I thought Arbogast was, um, I mean, it was Martin Balsam, and he is a good actor, but I, I felt like he, he kind of played the textbook detective kind of not, I'm, I'm not going to back down until I get my man sort of character. He kind of just plays that to the hilt and there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of subtlety to that <laughs> character. And, but, uh, and, and, and that's some character. Well yeah, I mean and that interaction with Bates was pretty cool. But um, of course when he gets it you fully expect it. You know it's coming. But <laughs> Like, like he he yeah. seems he seems to have like experience doing investigations and it's like right. oh okay this is gonna be fine and so I think that was probably an intentional thing by Hitchcock to surprise we're gonna kill this guy 
Um, right. and then have him do like the wacky arm flailing inflatable two man thing, like when he goes upstairs. <laughs> like that is like, oh, we're, we're the Paul- time. Yeah, one of the worst falls down the stairs I think I've ever seen. Yeah, that was <laughs> oh, no, that was almost comical. Fall down the stairs is imitated in Vertigo. Yeah. Yeah. The Vertigo had a couple moments that kind of felt flat for me too, partly for that reason. Uh, Hitchcock had a few strengths, no doubt, but he had a few weaknesses, and uh, the way he directs that fall, and the way he directs the knife thrusts in both of the attack scenes, <laughs> I'm sitting here going, "Those are some of the that's some of the worst wielding of a knife that I think I've seen in a movie." Just, uh, <laughs> if you guys have seen Futurama, you know Roberto just uh, edited. <laughs> The noises with the stats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. Although I think that's the first time that I've ever seen this being uh, somebody because uh, uh, that camera angle when, when he was killing Detective uh, right. Grass, uh, it was yes. from above, didn't it? Yeah, they shot it from yeah. above so that you wouldn't have so that there's no chance that you would see. Uh, so that you would just see, like, his mother's, like, right. outfit and hair, like, to keep the mystery there. And I think that was a pretty good, that was a good decision right. uh, to I, misdirect. Also, apparently the film stock that Hitchcock used, he tried to get as naturalistic a film as he could uh, to improve, like, the, uh, especially, like, that scene where, where, Aunt, where Norman is looking through the hole in the wall and that sort of thing. Like, you really get that sort of that bird's eye view, if you will, like that, um, it, it gives you sort of a voyeuristic feel for the film, which I think in certain shots was really effective. Um, some of them not as much, but some of them definitely. Um, and then, of course, we have the character that Hitchcock apparently called the Stiff, who is uh, John Gavin, is, uh, is the boyfriend, Sam Loomis. Apparently Hitchcock was bored by him. Kind of see why. I mean, in the uh, in the book, they're just set, right. in the book, he's just kind of a hapless character, and I right. uh, do more or less the same thing here with him, right? Yeah, he doesn't really do a great deal. Well, he's just a tool to be there at the end to add an extra yeah. bit of muscle when they have to finally uh, take him out at the right. end. So right. he's, uh, like I said, to me, he's almost a useless character and wouldn't <laughs> even be needed in a modern remake of Hitchcock's Psycho. I really don't think. Well, right. um, so I'm going to, I guess, kick off the Norman Bates' mother discussion with okay. uh, kind of like our biggest spoiler, of course, which uh-huh. uh, I don't know how anybody could have missed, but... Uh, the big reveal is that his mother, Norman's mother, has been dead the entire time, mm-hmm. and his taxidermied her and dresses up as her to manifest his mother as one of his as a multiple personality. Mm-hmm. So he's been doing the murders wearing a wig and a dress this entire time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one and thing that yes, well, that too. Um, <laughs> One thing I wanted to point out that was different from the book that was 
explicitly in the book, and I don't remember if it was really a part of the movie, was, um, like, his mother had always been, like, really, like, domineering and controlling, and she had started, she, she had gotten a boyfriend, and, like, he couldn't handle that, so he killed them both with rat poison, and preserved his mother, and I don't think that they, I wasn't sure, I didn't remember if they spelled that out in the movie, that that's, that he had killed both of them. Yeah, they did. They did? Okay. At the very end, they did, they explained all that. That's part of that exposition that everybody checks out for, isn't it? Because I I haven't seen that part for a while, so, um, like I I said, this movie ended up being longer than I expected it to be, and um, one thing that I don't think that I I'm pretty sure, I'm more sure, at least, that they didn't cover this in the movie, was that he liked to read, like, really, Norman liked to read, like, really, like, eclectic, like, bizarre things. Um, there's a scene where, uh, what is it, Leigh Crane? What, what, what was the sister's name again? Lila. Lila. There's a scene where Lila is, like, searching the premises, and she's in his library, and she pulls out a book of, like, arcane magic spells, um, and so it's explained that Norman, like after killing his mother, like he believed he he believed he had brought her back to life using the spells from the book, and that was why one of his personalities was his mother. Uh, she also found she also found like a Kama Sutra or something. In there. <laughs> that was kind of a funny, that was kind of a funny touch that they definitely did not do in this movie. Where, like, he's, like flipping through at, at the illustrations and just being like repulsed, and it's like, you know, had he captured her sister? Had he forced her to do these disgusting things? <laughs> they almost, uh, they almost had a supernatural element to this movie, or it had almost a feel of that uh, when you think about it. A lot of you know, for it. Well, just to touch real quick on what Dustin was saying. Uh, this, uh, I'm guessing then that the library scene in Leslie Vernon might have been a direct reference to that. Because they, they were talking about, like, you have some really weird books here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was fun. You know, it's, it's hard to remember, um, it's hard to at least remember for me because I read the book so long ago, um, and I wasn't able to make it through this particular rewatch in time, even though I've seen the movie so many times. Uh, so it's kind of it's kind of a disconnect in you know what actually was and wasn't there, but I remember that the most explicitly from the book, and so that's why it, that that part of the story stuck with me because I think without kind of that moment, like where they reveal all this, and it's like because I was reading that and I was like, oh, like and I actually got some chills off of that, like that did not happen to me. <laughs> Whereas in the movie, it's just like, oh yeah, he's just nuts. Eh. Yeah. See, even though, see, um, one of the th- things that makes me, I guess, uh, a little bit more close with Alfred Hitchcock is, I guess, I ended up getting a chance to go to the Alfred Hitchcock Museum in in uh, Orlando, Florida, and, uh, and what they do is they they actually uh, put you through. Um, a, a theatrical experience where they give you 3D glasses and you get to see the birds in 3D. That's probably pretty cool. 
Uh, until they put in Birdemic by mistake. And then Probably about the same one. a nightmare. <laughs> Birdemic. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the bird is fake, but the birds has better birds. <laughs> uh, but uh, afterwards, you would be able to buy, like, because uh, also um, there were Alfred Hitchcock stories that you could, uh, uh, that uh, story is that you could buy in the hardcover. Or whatnot that, that that you could buy at the the shop or what or whatnot, and we'd also have the three investigator novels or what, whatnot because the, the, those were Alfred Hitchcock presents novels. Nah, but I'm sorry, I still just am resentful of that series because it was like it got so talked up, and then I watched it and it was like, geez, these suck. <laughs> <laughs> See, I grew up with uh, Alfred Hitchcock uh, uh, presents, and I uh, grew up with uh, Twilight yeah. Zone and uh, Thriller and uh, uh, things of that nature. So I got used to how uh, how theatrical everything was, and and yeah, okay, TV series these days are not as smoky, and they don't hold uh, uh, they hold more surprise in this day than then. But well, I mean, even even old ones can still be pretty good. Like the old anthology horror series, like um, like Tales from the Dark Side, and the Friday the Thirteenth series. Even like both those hold up pretty well. Uh, the uh, actually, I thought always thought Hitchcock very similar to William Castle in a lot of ways because they did a lot of similar things. How they would interact with the audience at times, um, the, the showmanship level. The big difference between Hitchcock and William Castle is the fact that he wanted so much control over his sets and his actors and his act actresses. He, he, um, there, I believe there was an actress that that played Marnie. Tippi Hedren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. also in the birds, butted heads with. Um, oh yeah, and uh, the, uh, and like right after Marnie, he like disowned her in, in the entire business. In fact, she did not have a job in the film industry because of what happened. Ouch! Well, it's he, much like Kubrick, uh, had been known of being so eccentric and arrogant at times. Mm -hmm. That uh, a lot of his actors and actresses would have been considered abused uh, psychologically by him. Right. Now, that makes me think of. Uh, <laughs> so, as part of my uh, plans for this other project I want to do, uh, that's also a podcast, like, I want to have, like, people who don't typically go on to podcasts and talk about horror come on and talk about horror. And one of the people that I follow is, uh, like, I follow a, a few, like, adult film stars who have been kind of interested in, in doing something like that. And one of them had a tweet a really long time ago that that makes me think, that that reminds me of. It's like, some men just think they're awesome and don't ask for any feedback. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, apparently Hitchcock was one of those. Uh, and the, uh, when he got feedback, he was sometimes a little... Uh, reticent about receiving it. 
Um, actually, one of the uh, one of his best known, uh, or one of, probably his only film that got a huge amount of Oscar praise, and it may be because of the other colossal uh, ego behind it, which was his collaboration with David O. Selznick, Rebecca. The two of them butted heads relentlessly on that film, and it was <laughs> it was very interesting to. I, I read the production notes of uh, their emails back and I mean, not emails, but you know what I mean, memos back and forth. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting to to see that, but um, in this one, he definitely had a whole lot more control and. Um, We'll, we'll probably talk more in a minute, but um, are we, do you have any more character info, or do we want to go into the production aspects? I think we've probably yeah, touched yeah. upon all the characters, because that's, this is a fairly small film in many ways. Right. I mean, there's not there's not a whole lot that goes on. Um, well, okay, maybe that's not the right way to phrase that. Like, it's a right. smaller-scale film, and it has a small cast. So. It is a small-scale film. <laughs> It is a small-scale film, and actually that's a good segue into the production aspect. The Paramount was um, Hitchcock's boss at the time. They hated the source material. They hated the novel. They thought it was a terrible thing. They did not want Hitchcock to make this film. They did not think it would make money. There's a wonderful scene. I don't know how accurate to the real life it was, but in the film Hitchcock, there's a brilliant scene where Anthony Hopkins is playing Hitch, and he's sitting at the table with all these suits, and they're all like, no one will make that movie. We don't. We can't get the money to make that movie. And he whips out his checkbook and says, how much do you need? <laughs> and it, was, it was great. But um, apparently he when he had a $250,000 salary. He said, I don't want my salary. Give me 60% of the gross. Paramount said, this film's going to tank. Okay. And Hitchcock made over $15 million on the film. So, <laughs> yes, because Paramount really called it wrong on this one. <laughs> but there was such a tight budget, Hitchcock mostly used the same cast, crew, and locations he was using for Hitchcock Presents. And the stuff looked familiar. Yeah, a lot of it was very much recycled from his uh, TV. You know, he paid a little bit for some of the stars, but, you know, it was, uh, it was not a big name. You know, most of the people in the cast were moderately well-known at best. And if I um, correctly, Janet Leigh and Anthony Perkins didn't entirely get along on, on set, did they? Um, not to my knowledge. I, I understand Janet Leigh had some issues with a few people, but I, I didn't really see anything specifically about the two of them, but I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I, uh, I know Perkins was kind of, this was really early in his career. He was not that well known. Um, I have a film called The Tin Star that's about three years older that he starred in, but, um, and of course he went into the subpar. Yeah, okay, Dustin, you talk about movies that don't live up to the book. Catch-22 is a pale shadow of the book, but Perkins was fine in the in that movie. Um, I mean, none of my problems with this movie stem from Anthony Perkins, like... Yeah. Aside from, aside from he's maybe too pretty to be the Norman Bates as described in the book. Like, that's maybe my only issue with him, and it's a pretty minor one. Yeah. 
Um, sometimes a change from the book can be for the best. Sometimes not, but sometimes it can be. I mean, I think that actually worked here. It's just not right. quite for me. Right. Because, I mean, again, if he'd been like you described in the book, he, he probably would have been too obvious. He would have been a little overtly yeah. weird, and it's like, hmm. Right. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, yeah. But yeah. here's that harmless thing. Uh, coming across as somebody that wouldn't even uh, hurt a fly. As a well, exactly. Um, uh, he has to, like, spell that out for him. It's like, okay, what would a normal person do? Normal people wouldn't hurt things. I don't hit that fly. Whereas, like, if you don't have something wrong with you, you're just like, oh, fly. Yeah. No, I'll admit, that very last scene, that very last shot, I do love that part. Yeah. That that was a good ending for the film. Um, then a, a good final line, I think. But, um... As far as the production aspects, the biggest part, um, and actually I heard it remarked that, oh, well, the film is half, the, the film is half of what it is because of the music. And then I went back and read that apparently Hitchcock himself said the film was 33% of what it was because of the music. But, you know, without that score, it would, it's not as effective. And, oh, this um, movie is, one of the extras on, my copy of this is the Steelbook Blu-ray, like the pink one with the shower on it. Right. And one of the extras is the shower scene with and without music. Right. And right. without music, it is just goofy beyond words. Like, yeah. <laughs> so Bernard Herman, actually that scene was not originally supposed to be scored, but Herman went ahead and made a very simple but memorable <laughs> score yeah, for that scene and yeah and now that's the part that everyone remembers <laughs> <laughs> and it's like um, and it's a good example of I, I always say music is a huge part of what makes it oh, and the, the music has been used so much in commercials right. it's been used used in cartoons it's been over right. over uh, over desensitized and I think that's yeah. that's why I I will defend that music here actually, um, because like the you know it's the you know yeah. that everybody has heard many times throughout their lives, right. uh, and the way it's cut and mixed, it adds mm-hmm. it adds extra stabs to the scene, mm-hmm. so it makes the whole thing work a lot better, and it it makes it. Whereas it looks like he's just like, oh, I'm just slowly making a stabbing motion. Like, the music, it seems to make it, it, like, really, if you have, if you can, like, maybe try to find and watch that extra, because it adds so much to the scene, like, he appears to be hitting her faster, he appears to be actually getting the knife in there, like, just because of the energy of that music. Right. I would admit, uh, the, the version of the film I had, I was extremely disappointed to find out how light it was on special features. But that well, they didn't have that one. They did have that one, yeah. Um, as, far as, the other, packed. as far as the other production aspects, we did talk a little bit about the cinematography. Did anyone have anything to add on that? Or? Well, like I said, I, I, I always like the angles of, of right. the camera. A camera, uh, like the scene that I mentioned where the mother came out. Uh, mm-hmm. I viewpoint, but, but it, it definitely left some mystery. And uh, the silhouettes, the silhouettes, uh, the, uh, those are what I 
those are what I like most about the cinematography, seeing, the, uh, seeing their profiles in shadow. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, I guess then would we, uh, would we want to talk about the ending as a whole? Uh, I know that we probably should have talked about the plot, but... Oh, you mean just uh, the the explanation scene, or yeah, yeah. thing and how controversial it was, uh, right. well, it is I should say, because that's the one thing that most people like. Psycho is one of the best movies ever, except for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what what else? What else take there? Like like I said earlier, that ending. I like that ending. It's like oh okay. It, like ties it together like i think it works fine um but then again when i read the book i enjoyed the exposition of the book mm-hmm. like going into going into the logic of norman's madness like i found interesting uh the way they describe it in the book is that he had three personalities there was norma which was the personality of his mother that he had assumed after her death there was norman which was the version of him that, you know, saw himself as, like, a little boy and was subservient to his mother. And then there was what they called in the book Normal, which was <laughs> man Norman who, you know, would pay the electric bill and do the chores, but didn't really... Like, the, the personality that would function. Yeah. <laughs> but had no personality beyond that. I think they, they kind of included all three, because there's at least one scene in the movie where... Uh, where uh, Hitchcock intentionally had the uh, pitch or something uh, changed on Perkins' voice. I think he, he like eliminated the bass or something to make him sound more boyish. So that might have been the, uh, the a nod to the third personality. Um, but yeah, it really seems like he has two... For the, if you're not going into yeah. it knowing all that. Well, normal is more of a, I guess, state of mind that he could enter uh, right. in this. Because it's like, where, you know, where he's, where he's like getting rid of her car and like thinking mm-hmm. of, and like cleaning up the bathroom. You know, that's normal, like in action there. Yes, like, that's normal. That's what most people do. <laughs> Well, I mean, I I do it all the time. (laughs) I strictly mean in in the sense of you know, it's like okay, I have to do this. Like the one that has like the responsibility for like the life skills. Actually, one of one of my favorite moments for 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 that character, as far as the acting or whatever, is where he's trying to sink the car, and it stops, and you see him slowly start to panic. And then starts going again, and he's like, ah. <laughs> he's like, just that, that bead of sweat, you know, like. <laughs> but yeah, so it would have been nerve-wracking, I'm sure. But uh, See, I hated that ending scene because it felt condescending. It's like, we're going to tack this on because we don't trust you, audience, to be quite smart enough to have figured this out. And, and that apparently, from what I understand, that's almost exactly what Hitchcock said about it. He yeah. he tacked it on because the studio said he had to. Yeah. Well, I but, mean, again, like these people are like what banging rocks together or whatever. Like they're on fire, so they're uh, they're afraid of uh, uh, obscuring the audience too much. Yeah. <laughs> it, 
I mean, just like at the same time, they were against horror comics, you know? Even though they were the most popular thing being produced that people could buy, like, they were still, like, cracked down on and hated and... Uh, don't get me started. <laughs> Poor EC. <laughs> right. well, the, um, my thing is, um, I don't particularly mind exposition, and oftentimes I find it very useful, but I, I kind of agree with what, what Brandon said, the way it's presented it really does, it does feel a little condescending to the audience. The way it's presented, you know, if they had done it maybe more tongue-in-cheek, like maybe if uh, Hitchcock had found some sort of gallows humor way to include that same information, or if it had been sprinkled throughout a little bit here and a little bit there, it, it would have yeah. worked better, I think. I think so. Uh, yeah. I agree with that, it's uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, then again, uh, maybe it's just they didn't feel like it that the audiences could do it. Just I feel like there's a bit more to be had from a film when you leave a little bit of that air of mystery in the end and let people think about it a little bit. Right, and this is definitely not as open ended as a lot of films are. I've seen some films are like, oh my god, uh, that's the ending. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of that's kind of how I felt. Like that's it. It's like, uh huh. Uh, which I mean, in those days, I guess it was more than enough that oh, the killer survived. Oh no! Like, wasn't there some objection to that part of it? Well, well like the NPA or something, because that seems to be something I remembered about this movie. Hitchcock <laughs> always at war with the NPA. I remember thinking that. Well, the NPA is garbage. It's like. He was, left, he was just left with his own mind alone, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, to, uh, to me in that very end when they, when they when they bring the camera back from him, you know. Right. Uh, that line about the fly, though, I'll admit that was a good line for the end. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought it was cheesy, personally. It was like, uh, eh. The original fly or the remake? No, he's talking about the I see. I won't even swap that fly. You know that like inner monologue. That's what they're they're talking about, Dave. Uh, like, I mean, I thought it was kind of I thought it was kind of corny. Like, I didn't like it. <laughs> but I think that's maybe just because like I've heard people like I wouldn't even hurt a fly. Like I've heard that like hundreds of times right. in everywhere. So maybe that's why I don't like that line. Right. So I guess. Um... Uh, any anything else you want to do on the on the basic production aspects? So we covered most of the. Uh... Um, well, I think uh, there are some special effects in this, like okay. not very many, but uh, I think one effect that I like. Well, I guess it's more of a prop. Like I like the mummified Norman Bates mother prop. <laughs> like it looks oh, pretty convincing. It's like oh, oh man, that okay. is an that was an effective moment. That, that when you first when I first saw that, I was like, whoa. <laughs> and then he like comes out in the dress, and it's like <laughs> I bet people like fainted in the theater. Right. <laughs> like to me, it was like <laughs> I knew it, and there he is. Um, 
So that, I'm kind of like that, smiling and laughing at that. But that uh, qualifies as a jump scare that actually uh, lives up to what it was trying to do. <laughs> well, yeah. I, the first time I saw, uh, saw that, uh, that's when I saw that moment. I kind of jumped too. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, this was a movie that, that kind of first when you first see it and. Yeah. Okay. There's no surprise when, uh, when you hear a lot, uh, a, a, a lot, you know, about this film and all that jazz. But if you if you see it for the first time, there are moments where your eyes will just kind of blink for a moment. You know, like it's still a surprise. Like um, I remember one time. I remember one time I showed like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to somebody who had never seen it before, and like you could see them like gripping their chair and just being like. <gasps> Like, the entire time, like, when Leverface, like, shows up in, like, Chainsaw's Franklin, you know, I'm standing up, it's like, yeah, fuck him up! God, let's go buy some meat, guys! (laughs) (laughs) They're just sitting there, like, wide-eyed, unblinking, (laughs) like, in shock. It's like, what? That's the one if we covered that, uh, that Jacob would be the dissenting opinion on that. I I, I guarantee you now, if you ever cover that, I'm not watching it again. That was well, what the the we did. We did that forever ago. Yeah, so it's like episode yes. twelve. <laughs> that was when. Uh, but anyway, and that's a whole other story for another day. Um, yes. So actually, that kind of heads into, uh, and actually, uh, David briefly mentioned the the story that inspired Psycho, but apparently, that story was also loosely the inspiration for Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Silence of the Lambs. It's like, apparently, that killer gets around. I don't know. I like, <laughs> well, but, um, Ed Gein is such an yeah. unusual thing, or at least right. at the time, it was very shocking to everyone. Right. Um, to, well, you, I'll let you talk about it. Well. I probably don't have much more to say that. But so you yeah, probably know more. Yeah, <laughs> you probably do. For those of you who don't know people, Ed Gein was a man that was from Plainsfield, Wisconsin, that evidently was found having living furniture of some of the women that have been in his lives, including his mother. And his upholstery. So he would uh, he would dig up bodies and like make household objects from them. Like oh. he had like chairs made of he had like chairs made of human bones with like human leather. Like he had like lamps made of like faces stitched together. Pretty much any prop you see in Texas Chainsaw Massacre was inspired by Ed Gein. Um, he's often called like he, he's called a ser- he's re- he's referred to as a serial killer. Um, even though I think he only has, like, two... I think he only had two victims that he actually killed. Like, the rest of them were, like, dug up from graveyards. Um, but still, pretty pretty fucked up. Um, yeah, it sounds like it. In so, so, he a, so, in Silence of Williams, that's not so much Hannibal as Buffalo Bill, I guess, was the... Well, he was uh, also... It was also, like, suggested that he was cannibal... That he was cannibalistic oh, as well. Okay. Uh, so, a little bit of... When they, when they finally, like, raided his farm the farmhouse where he lived, um, like, they found his most recent victim, like, trussed up like a deer hanging from, like, the ceiling in, like, the smokehouse or whatever it was. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, you really never heard of this? 
No, I've heard of it. I just hadn't really heard the details. Okay. <laughs> he had, he had like belts made out of like human nipples and just all kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah, like the uh, the skin suit that Buffalo Bill was making in Sons of the Lambs, yeah. like that's directly Ed Gein. Like there's there's a Steve right. Railspec. Um, I think it's Under the Light of the Moon. It's an Ed Gein story, and there's a scene where he does indeed put on the woman's suit, suit and dance under the moon. <laughs> but, uh, I'll have to check the Under the Moon out. That that sounds interesting. I think I have it somewhere around here. One of the villains in the uh, second season of American Horror Story was based on that character. Uh, no. I'd say probably, lot, yeah. probably a solid 30% of all horror characters mm-hmm. were based somewhat on Ed Gein. There was an independent musical that was supposedly filmed here in Wisconsin that I, mm-hmm. that I still want to figure out who the hell directed it. Uh, <laughs> there's a trailer for it online. But Cannibal the Musical was not based on him. No. <laughs> no. That was a good one, though. There was one yeah. I saw here, like, it was a play, it was called The Flesh Trade, by one of my Facebook friends. And, uh, that played, that played at The Alchemist for a little while. I have the soundtrack, too, and that's kind of, well, clearly inspired by Ed Gein and the Donner Party, kind of combined. <laughs> it's like, it's very bizarre, it's like this, uh, yeah like this prostitute who works at a brothel is like paid by these rich guys who no she's paid by rich cannibals to like kill people and like sell them the bodies it's it's strange Uh, yeah and it was a fairly upbeat musical too (laughs) i was just saying it sounds like a disney story the ending was a little bit on the nose with, you know, the rich literally eating the poor. Wasn't that also a plot point in Sweeney Todd? I seem to feel like that was a little bit. But anyway. Uh, a bit. Uh, anyway, um, well, so, all, these things, all these things are in some way descendants of Psycho. <laughs> Right. Well, one thing I did, speaking of the descendants of Psycho, one thing we do have to talk about is the movie's reputation as one of the original slashers. And uh, in some ways it's debatable because there are only two victims in the film and, you know, there's there's not a great deal of actual horror or anything like that. I think that was one of the things I was most disappointed with when I first saw it because I was expecting I was expecting a lot from this, uh, and a point I a point I wanted to just get out real quick was mm-hmm. so around the same time this came out, uh, there was something called Peeping Tom, okay. and they were both yeah. they were both fairly similar, except Peeping Tom had like actual gruesome killings in it that you would see kind of on camera, mm-hmm. and so slash Psycho. Kind of set the the pace for what would become the slasher genre, mm-hmm. and I've always wondered if if Psycho hadn't taken off and instead Peeping Tom, like I think Peeping Tom was actually better than Psycho. Uh, at least it like scared me a lot more. Uh, I wonder so with Psycho being the fa- I'm trying to figure out how to word this. So with Psycho being the foundation of where modern slashers and even like modern horror would evolve from. 
what if instead of Psycho becoming popular, Peeping Tom had become popular, and instead we had a genre with Peeping Tom as the foundation instead of Psycho? Like, I've always wondered what that world would be like. And maybe it would be like talking about how Peeping Tom bored you because you had seen it before. It's different. Like, this is like, Peeping Tom is about a photographer who likes to take photos of people as they die. Like, he has, he has, like, a, he has a knife, like, hidden, he has, like, a bayonet, like, hidden in his, in the tripod stand of his camera, yeah. and he'll just, like, stab women, like, in the guts, and, like, just take quick pictures away, like, as they die. It is really, like, nasty and disturbing. Well, um, no, I think he's trying to capture death. Right. Something to that effect, like, I don't know, it was, it was so different and it came out the same year and it seems like psycho was just so much more popular that people people didn't even realize it was out do you like what year, what year that? did uh homicidal come out uh, well deranged was before this right so what would, what would everybody say would be the first Modern slasher. Yeah, I was right there after this one. Modern slasher, I would probably say Halloween. Uh, like uh, more Black, Black, Christmas? Black Christmas or Halloween. Okay. Well, what like, about Black Josh, What was that one uh, that I was been? What about Bay of Blood? I still I haven't mean, seen Bay of Blood. It's one of I, those ones where you don't really hear people talking about Bay of Blood, <laughs> or at least I don't. Well, and again, there's so many movies that I think up until the point where you reached that area, uh, where the really it's those big three that were considered uh, modern slashers. But up until then, everybody uh, had pieces. It's like puzzle pieces. I didn't think Margot's Bay of Blood was a slasher. Well, when did Pieces come out? Was like eighty one or? I was just going to say, it's, it's like every horror film that had a slasher type of thing was sort of a piece of that slasher puzzle. And eventually, somebody put them all together, and it became the modern slasher film. And again, one of the pieces that Psycho had that I definitely think Halloween picked up on is that score that leans heavily on those shrill and oh, discordant yeah. notes. That oh, was like definitely... That yeah. yeah. Well, Halloween did utilize... Uh, I know that Psycho definitely influenced Halloween. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah. Uh, to some it may not have been the best but definitely without it a lot of the best probably would not have been what they were well in Ebert's review of Halloween he compares it very directly to Psycho and says it's on It's it, he says it's on he said it was on the same level as Psycho for Halloween alright <laughs> okay. I, I agree with his, his comment because Halloween is just as iconic yeah and it, really, pretty it really kicked off the modern era too uh, I have this book about slashers called Games of Terror which I keep failing to finish rereading <laughs> uh, and there's like 20 some pages just on Halloween uh, but uh, you know as we've been discussing Psycho I'm 
So I, at the beginning of this, I kind of was still able to channel like my original, original reactions to it. Uh, but the more we discuss it, like the more I realize it's like, you know, I enjoy this movie much more than I thought I did. So it's just kind of getting past the memory of like the initial disappointment. And I think reading the book helped a lot too. Sometimes that initial disappointment can have a huge impact because the, uh, like I said, the one Hitchcock film I hated the first time I saw it was The Birds. I hated that <laughs> yeah. film. I really, viscerally hated it. <laughs> then I, went, so then I, went back, I went back a few years later and watched it, and I'm like, well, it's not bad. You know, it was just, I, I had to go at it with those lowered expectations. And I think the non-ending was one of the reasons I hated it so much the first time. But the second time, I was like, okay, well, uh. But I also, I saw a lot more of the humor in it the second time around that I couldn't see the first time. Yeah. And it's just, sometimes you just have to do a second, uh, you know, I, uh, sometimes it doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. That's why I think discussions are, are, are very essential to to uh, to uh, how you enjoy the film. I mean, uh, normally when you go into a film, you're, you're seeing it through your own eyes, and then when you start discussing it with other people, uh, it, it, it's like there are different things that you 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 saw or didn't see that someone else might have, mm-hmm. you know. Right. I learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So um, we uh, we're starting to run a little long. Do we want to go ahead and do like favorite uh, moments, lines, what have you, real quick? Um, I'll just bang mine out real quick. Um, like that, re- the reveal of like him in his mother's clothes and her corpse. Like that's the part of the movie I think that does it for me like the most. It's just like yeah. Again. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I think that final monologue by the mother uh, mm-hmm. at the end, well, him as the mother at the end, uh, as much as I dislike most of the ending, uh, mm-hmm. that part does add that element, especially the very end, to it, mm-hmm. just adds a bit of creepiness to it. Mm-hmm. Um. I would have to say the uh, the scene where uh, where she uh, she's driving away from the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the car place and they're saying this is the first time uh, time that a customer has browbeated uh, the, uh, the, uh, the yeah the car salesman and then the couple other talks that she's going through in her mind I, I think just the way she uh, she's thinking while you see her driving you know? well, she's basically uh, imagining what people are saying that in a sense you kind of are getting those scenes through her it's kind of an interesting way of doing it mm-hmm. she's yeah. yeah that was that was kind of a fun thing with the I like how the the, the car salesman isn't like He's clearly suspicious, but he's like, well, I am getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, right. like, are you sure you don't want it? No, give me the car. And it's like, why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I care. Okay, let's go to my yeah. office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, she, and I have to say, like, she is like worst thief ever. She has no poker oh. face at all. It's like the part where she's pulled by the cop, and he's like, 
um, a, a, a Eurocamera or something along those lines, uh, it's like, you're acting a, 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 you're acting a little off, and she's like, my what? Yeah, it's like, do I look suspicious or something like that? No, 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 that's yes. what She's like, well, do I look suspicious? And he's like, well, frankly, yes. <laughs> in, in the book, she's like really nervous about it to the point where, as she's getting, as she's getting undressed for the shower, to take a shower, she's like, you know what? You know, I'll just make something up and return the money. Like, I, right. now I feel too bad about this. Right. Um, there's also a scene where in the book, like before that, where she's kind of like checking out her body, like in the mirror, mm -hmm. and like Norman is watching through that people, mm -hmm. and that's actually what triggers like the mother attack. Mm. It's just like the nude, the sexuality. Right. I kind of liked actually in the movie she changes her mind while she's talking to him, and you get that strong impression. But. Um, yeah. I love that first little dialogue the two of them have. And, and again, some of my favorite moments were just the little lines he had, the reactions he had during that dialogue. To a lesser degree, his interaction with Pender... Now I'm saying it. All the gas. And the very, very, very final scene, I agree, that the very last shot, that last line, um, if they had done the exposition better, I would have said this is easily Hitchcock's best film, but because of that exposition scene, uh, it just sunk it for me. Um, it's still one of his better ones, but uh, Rear Window is still the, the best one overall, I think. But um, anyway, I guess if, uh, if anyone has anything else before we wrap up, or... Well, last thing is, um, okay. so apparently there's a Psycho 2, 3, and 4 by yes. Harrison, and I am, I haven't gotten to see them yet. I'm waiting until I discover the Shout Factory Blu-rays used oh. uh, as, like, a discovery thing, but I am really curious to how the heck they're going to follow <laughs> up <laughs> that ending. It's like, well, he's in jail. Uh, well, no, what? Like Star Anthony Perkins? They do, uh, from what I yeah. understand. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's released. <laughs> <laughs> like Halloween 2018, like 40 years later, he's loose! Believe it or not. Maybe that was one of the things that The Simpsons was... You kept talking about how they kept spoofing us. One of my very favorite... Uh, well, my favorite episode of The Simpsons directly spoofed that idea of someone who cannot stay put away... My favorite episode is Sideshow Bob Roberts. And oh, yes, and there's that part where it's like, uh, Mayor Quimby supports revolving doors uh, prisons. <laughs> it is, and you have all this stuff talking about he released this horrible criminal, Sideshow Bob. Vote Sideshow Bob for mayor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love the old Simpsons so much. But yes, so long, uh, they come on the show. <laughs> yes. If we all email uh, him, he might do it. <laughs> That's the best part. But, um, anyway, uh, I guess, like Zed, we wanted to, to wrap up. Who wants to start? Uh, I'll go. So, okay. uh, I'm Dustin. I'm a horror collector uh, living here in Milwaukee and bankrupting myself doing the hobby, as we found out today. Tear. Uh... So you can find me on my own channel, uh, The Crypt of Horrors, showing off the junk that I find and doing various unboxings. Uh, again, that's The Crypt of Horrors here on YouTube. 
I'm really lazy about uploads, so go subscribe so I feel like I have an incentive. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, uh, causing trouble, as the Crypt of Horrors as well. Uh, so shout out to anybody from Twitter who's actually listening to this right now. And I also have an Instagram for my collection, which I finally started posting photos to again. Uh, formerly DHR Hunter, I have finally changed that name to, you guessed it, the Crypt of Horrors, because everything shorter was taken. And so, yeah, that's me. So I just uh, try to come on here and have a good time every week. Uh, hey, hey, gang. Uh, well, uh, I'm Septim Sen of Septim Sen versus the World. Uh, we are a YouTube channel that is dedicated to physical media in all its forms, and especially in the format that is DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, we have pickup videos, reviews, and of course we let you know what's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD each week. Of course, uh, there wouldn't be uh, fun without our top 10s and top 15s. And be it the month of Criterion, uh, we are talking about films for this week. That's already been, by the way, released because uh, I couldn't get it to schedule correctly. Uh, a top ten list uh, that each of us did on movies we felt should get a Criterion release. Uh, finally, I do... This could uh, be one of them. Yeah, well, that... I Hitchcock does make an appearance on the list, and Psycho is mentioned. But we, because of our last Criterion video, um, we tried to keep large sets off the list this time. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe next time. Well, is, this uh, hmm? is this part of the Criterion collection? No, it's not, strangely. No, it's, it's so strange. It's such a huge, iconic movie, and a lot of, like, big time, a lot of big titles have the same problem where they're plagued with just, like, crappy, like, ass-shit releases. Right. <laughs> like, we have yeah. Predator, we have Jaws, we have yeah. Psycho. Like, if you're, like, a major movie, it seems like they just want to release a new one, like, every year instead of giving, like, a solid definitive edition. And actually, um, Jaws does make an appearance as well. Um, and we make the point that apparently Spielberg has had only one Criterion release. It was on Laserdisc <laughs> and is out of print. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's uh, yeah, a few Hitchcock, but not enough. <laughs> Jacob insisted on Jaws The Revenge being on that Criterion. Oh, yeah, I like that movie. I would be that No, the only, the only problem with that is that you'd probably have to have Jaws 3 as well. Yeah, I also <laughs> like that movie. What the F? <laughs> but, uh, this is like two of my favorite monster <laughs> movies. I mean, yeah, Jaws 4 is freaking terrible, but, you know, I had a good time. <laughs> and then back to the future, at least. Let's <laughs> uh, watch it over this. In any case, uh, we also do uh, some work with Inside Movies Galore, of course, uh, doing some uh, uh, interviews at, well, uh, guesting on some interviews as well as some um, reviews for that channel. And of course, uh, the most interesting thing is our theme for August, which is going to be Anime August. So we will be exploring the theme of Japanese animation. No, God, oh, no. not just oh, Japanese awful. animation that, uh, that, you, uh, that you have to 
that, uh, that you have to to uh, subject ourselves to. You can subject us to Disney films that could have been your favorite or or uh, your your most favorite cartoon uh, animation feature so it, 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 oh it's it's animation no, art? no it's it, anime it is anime it is yes thanks for voting for it dave you oh, I didn't have it. motherfucker i didn't know okay, did. for it <laughs> well <laughs> any- <laughs> I didn't vote for it. I swear. <laughs> well, I, I may mean, not be on in August, so get your fill of me this month while you can, gang. <laughs> you hear that, audience? <laughs> well, I'll probably have to sit out the last one this month, so we'll, I guess it, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but, it'll, uh, it'll depend. So I actually went to uh-huh. Anime Midwest this past weekend, and it was like, oh my god, I was so bored for like half of it. Yeah. <laughs> I got paid. I, mean, oh. I wish I could have. Oh, whatever. Uh, it's too far away. Um, so, I, I, I'll go ahead now and then I'll hand it off to Dave to wrap it up. Um, I'm Kodabuki Jake. I frequently guest on Septum Sin vs. the World. And um, as, as he said, we uh, do talk at length about all kinds of media and we have a good time with it. And I, of course, am a big fan of collecting media myself and probably have more than I should. And, I know uh, the Criterion List is one that we had a lot of fun with and we were looking forward to. We have a big anniversary uh, video coming up soon, which will be very fun. And uh, also a list of the best anime films ever released, so that'll be coming up. Look forward to that. Uh, I do also have my own channel, Kodabuki Jake, on uh, YouTube. It's dedicated to nature and the natural world. Problem is, I have been so obsessed geeking out over iNaturalist that I keep forgetting to make any new videos. So, <laughs> one of these days, I'll post more material. But, yeah, I, I just having way too much fun with that site. And it's just, uh, but anyway. It's a fun uh, time. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dave. Uh, and my name is David Stregge. I run Inside Movie School in Milwaukee, but I run it with all of you. So, uh, so thank you so much for helping me uh, continue the discussional uh, 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 discussions of these films each week. Every single one of them, whether animated or anime or uh, classic or slasher. All deserve to be talked about, no matter how dumb or how smart. So, <laughs> even bird dumb way to phrase it. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> birdemic. <laughs> I mean, like I said earlier, it it might have slightly better. It might have some about the same quality of effects as the birds does. Uh, no. <laughs> It's not. <laughs> well, I'm sure they spent about the same amount of money. <laughs> just kind of being dragged across the screen. <laughs> I'm somewhat trolling, by the way, in case you can tell. <laughs> I just enjoy it so much. <laughs> I'm a bad person. <laughs> These are the films that we have uh, have to look forward to. In any case. Uh, stay tuned for our, our 
our eventual list of August uh, August titles, for we will be voting on the, uh, those. Um, uh, I will be going on and interviewing the director of a trauma film tomorrow um, uh, called Blood Junkie. Nice. Uh, so, uh, 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 I had a failed interview today with uh, uh, with uh, uh, Mr. Lay Scott, but that will be rescheduled next week. I had an audio uh, imperfection where I was uh, where the audio was sounding like chipmunks, so we will schedule that for later uh, later on. But this weekend, I ha uh, on the fourteenth. I have two uh, interviews, one with Bill Zebub, and the next is with uh, uh, d uh, director of, of the Short Film Festival uh, here in Milwaukee, and I will be talking about his uh, f uh, fil uh, films. That would be Ross, uh, um, and... Uh, be looking at his perspective on uh, films and uh, what what he has coming up for the short film festival that he is in his twenty first year, I believe. Oh, dang. So, in any case, uh, those are some things to look forward uh, to. Hopefully, um, uh, you'll enjoy them. You can find us uh, uh, now thirty episodes deep. Out on Spotify and other uh, uh, other avenues like Radio Public and uh, uh, stuff like that. So, uh, but you can definitely find us here on YouTube. So, uh, thank you so much. And we do have a Facebook page too. Uh, we do. There's a reason to go there. Yes. Uh, you could actually have uh, voted on the theme uh, this month, and uh, I might even be able to set up so that you can vote on the movies that we uh, do. So uh, definitely look out. As a matter of fact, Maniac Cop is next week. Uh oh, fuck yeah! <laughs> you have the right to remain silent watch forever. Out. <laughs> watch out! Watch out! For, uh, uh, practice, practice. <laughs> the right. hero, the hero we deserve. <laughs> Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, have a good evening. Bye. Grime. Okay. <laughs> Time for some Far Cry New Dawn. <laughs> my mother thanks you my father thanks you my sister thanks you and I thank you